Hello and welcome to the Brain Care Podcast, a practical and impactful series of snappy episodes on how to optimize your mental health and performance so you can reach your full potential. My name is Dan Murray-Serta, and I'm the co-founder at Heights. We make smart supplements and clever content with the world's leading experts to help you take care of your brain so it can take care of you. Okay, so welcome to the Brain Care Podcast. This week's special guest is Dr. Sophie Mort. She has over 40,000 followers on Instagram, where you may know her as the guru of Insta Therapy. I'm not sure it's a name she gave herself, but other people have given her that name. She's a registered clinical psychologist and an author, and she helps with the following loss of identity, anxiety, low self esteem, intrusive thoughts, anger, and so much more. So thanks a lot for agreeing to speak, Dr. Soph. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you for having me on. And I most certainly did not give myself that name. The Times did. <laughs> it always sounds so much better if you say that. I was once called uh, Britain's answer to George Clooney, according to The Times. No, no one said that. It was just It's just so easy to say these things, isn't it? <laughs> so far from the truth. Anyway, I believe you is the main point. I believe you. I saw it. In fact, I saw it on your Instagram. <laughs> so why don't you introduce yourself? Let us know uh, how I did with my intro versus your own ability to describe yourself. No, you did a great job of introducing me. Um, my name's Sophie, basically. I go by Dr. Sophie Mort, Dr. Soph, and I'm a clinical psychologist. So that means I have an undergraduate in psychology, a master's in neuroscience, and a doctorate in psychology, clinical psychology. And I am now working to get psychology out of the therapy room, into people's lives in ways that make sense and is accessible because most of the people don't end up finding out what makes them tick or what makes them struggle or how to cope until they've hit rock bottom, at which point they try and access care, end up on waiting lists or face other barriers such as not knowing where to access support or not having finances to pay for therapy. So I like to give out uh, pre-digested information daily on Instagram and through my new book, A Manual for Being Human. I like to think I knew you before you got famous because I came across one of your posts with, I guess, what's become a very on-brand typical style for you of big, bold, empowering statement that made me feel uplifted and curious at the same time on a post-it on an Instagram post. And I followed you. And this was, uh, you know, when you only had a handful of followers. And it was about four or five years ago. And what's awesome is to see like the consistency of the simplicity of the message that you've put on Instagram gaining such popularity and compounding quite quickly. It's obvious that that sort of short and snappy, insightful approach mm. has really worked. So I guess my leading question here at what point did you decide that Instagram was going to be a relevant place for you to take what you've learned in books, essentially, and then translate it into the more visual medium? Well, when you study to be a clinical psychologist, you work in the NHS. And I am extremely pro the NHS. You know, free healthcare at the point of contact, we need more of it. But I was recognizing in around 2018, 2017, really, that across all of the different services I worked in, whether it was child and adolescent mental health, child neuro, adult neuro, adult mental health, adult health, I was seeing the same thing coming into the therapy room in the first session, which was people who had sat on a waiting list, struggling without the basic psychological information that could have been taught in school, but wasn't 
stigmatizing their own experiences because people rarely talk about mental health constructively, positively and openly. And so I was spending these first few precious sessions, bearing in mind most therapy is time limited on the NHS, sharing the basics that didn't have to be shared by a doctor. And for some people, simply getting those basics, having someone who would listen and understand was enough. They didn't need more support. For others, it was after that point that the real therapy, the nuanced, more complex therapy began. So I was thinking there's only one of me. If there's only one of me and there's huge waiting lists, <laughs> maybe there's something we can do where we can get this information out to people before they're struggling. And Instagram is just such a great opportunity because it provides a low barrier space to over 1 billion people. <laughs> All you need is the internet and a phone or a computer. So it was kind of a no brainer for me at that point. Going from training to couch, I guess, if you ever were that stereotypical, to the process of putting yourself out there on social media with these thoughts a lot as well. I'd love to just understand some of the narrative, internal narrative, mental health chatter that might have been going on inside you at the point of growing a following from zero to 40,000 plus, helping people with these issues. Because just on a personal level, I'm always interested in this topic. Every single day that I post on social media, I run through the same narratives of like, no one actually wants to hear what I have to say, but I'm doing it anyway, kind of thing. So have you gotten over that? Did you ever have that? What's it like? Oh, yes. I've, I've often felt like I was shouting into the void. Instagram is a really interesting place because not only are you putting yourself out there, you know, there's actually something quite safe about sitting behind a therapy room door, only dealing with one person or a couple or a family at a time sharing your thoughts, beliefs, and even though it's backed by science, you are putting yourself out there, is extremely vulnerable making. I remember the first few months, no joke, I would post and then I'd throw my, I'd throw it, I'd throw my phone across to the bed and I would leave the house because I was so horrified. And I'd come back later that day (laughs) and very nervously check what had happened. I have to say, like everything, the more I exposed myself to it, the easier it got. But I do think there is something particularly interesting about therapists sharing on Instagram. And that is for the majority of us, we go on there to say to people, you don't have to be someone else in order to be seen, liked and told you're enough. But (laughs) Instagram changes its algorithm all the time and tells us, right, for you to be seen, liked and told you're enough, you need to post, for example, four reels a week. You need to be doing X and Y. And so recently I had a moment where I just thought, hmm, Instagram is asking me to do the very thing I'm coming on here telling other people they don't have to do. So there has to be a point where I step out of the algorithm game. And if I'm going to be true to myself and model the very behavior that I'm telling people that they're allowed to do, I have to say, you know what? No jump kicks, no jazz hands. (laughs) I will not be uh, playing into the algorithm in the way that Instagram wants me to. Whereas I know a lot of therapists are stuck feeling almost like they did as teenagers back in the school playground when they were trying to do anything they could to be seen. Yeah, it's fascinating. So you're not going to be doing the point left, point right, point up, point down kind of thing just so you can get a caption going and uh, get people to click on it for five seconds. (laughs) I mean, I've done it. You know, when Reels first came out, I did do it. But it just felt so deeply uncomfortable. And I think 
I think the thing is there are people who do such brilliant jobs of this, right? It comes naturally to them. They are editing geniuses. Um, and I take my hat off to them, but it's not my skill set. Also, I'm doing this on top of my full-time job. And so the idea of spending so much time editing and curating a brilliant video when actually I need to get just hard facts out to people feels like it's not the best use of my energy. And I'd burn out very quickly if I continued down that path. What is your opinion on pseudonymous identities then through social media? Basically, people who have like fake apps, a lot of what you get on Reddit, right? Like most people on Reddit don't actually have their name. I'm not like, like, you know, I wouldn't be Dan Murray Searcher on Reddit. I might be like Silver Fox Badge 33. That's like the new thing, right? There's like a lot of people who are very protective about data, about fraud, about, you know, all of these different reasons why. And then also there's the ability to feel so much more comfortable putting yourself out there if it isn't really you. That's overtaking the internet and especially social media. And so I just wanted to know if you had some thoughts on, on that at all. So I do, I do. I think there's two sides to this. I think one is it's very, it's very positive thing to protect your data, to make yourself feel safe on the internet. We all need to do whatever it takes to feel safe, whether it's feel safe sharing or feel safe in terms of actually knowing our data isn't being taken from us. There is also a dark side, however. I think it's someone called John Sula coined the phrase online disinhibition effect. Have you heard of this? Not even my pseudonym Silver Fox Badge 33 knows of this. <laughs> well, it's the idea that humans naturally become less inhibited the moment they're over an electronic connection, a Wi-Fi connection. There's the obvious thing of, well, if I'm messaging on Instagram, I can't exactly see who you are on the other side. So, and you can't see me. So this takes away really any of the punishment I may experience or the judgment I may experience should I say something that's really offensive to you. At best, this means actually online therapy and Instagram are brilliant places for people to talk about their vulnerabilities because they automatically feel more relaxed. At worst, however, the online disinhibition effect has shown that some people feel like the moment they're online, they're in a computer game where any of their actions don't really count in the real life world because it's more like they're an avatar playing a game, allowing a side of themselves that they might never express in the real world, that they may not even realize exists inside them, be free without consequences. And the thing is, when we use pseudonyms, when we use avatars, we can hide behind an even bigger layer, a greater layer of protection. And I do worry about cyberbullying. I worry about harassment and I worry about how actually... We're already doing a very poor job of holding people accountable for their behavior online. So that would be my concern. Interestingly, we're speaking the day after England's loss to Italy and actually the notion of how people behave online is extremely prevalent today, especially because people are obviously in two camps, it seems, you know, using detachment from reality or identity online to go and be utterly racist or despicable to a whole bunch of England players. And fortunately, we're seeing the opposite reaction too, which is people really going out on a limb to make sure that they're being extremely positive on those people's social media accounts as well. So years ago, when there was the Gareth Southgate penalty thing, you know, that dominated papers and media headlines, and it was all very negative. 
And today, like super extremes, you know, these are three players who went and missed penalties and did nothing else in the game. And yet so many people are actually making the effort to jump to their defense and make them feel better, as well as obviously the other side. So I think there's like this interesting behavior that unfolds. Yeah, it just it's just mind-blowing that we have to jump to people's defense in this year, you know, in this age, that it's just not common decency and humanity to recognize that what those players did yesterday was phenomenal. Also, we have a team who are fighting for the NHS, who are putting school meals on the table. And yet, instead of talking about these incredible jobs these men are doing, the racism is terrifying. Yeah, it's super, it's super, super sad. But, you know, I guess this is the the extremes of what social media can actually bring up in people, right? And that's why I think, obviously, there's such a a logical reality of how your positioning and what you do actually just helps educate people with their own stuff, but also to have some perspective on how it affects other people as well. Now, I know in our next interview, we're going to talk about your new book, A Manual for Being Human. But before we do that, I wonder if you could share your three-step methodology that you developed for people to make real changes in their lives. Okay. So I'm going to let you into a little secret first. I didn't develop a step methodology. However, it's just a very good way of summarizing how I think. So essentially, whenever people come to therapy, whenever actually friends ask for support, and whenever I've struggled in the past, people always ask the same three questions. Why do I feel this way? So how did I get here? <laughs> What's keeping me stuck? And how do I move forwards? So in terms of if you came to see me in therapy or if you were my friend asking for advice or if you were reading a manual for being human, the way I always set out understanding other people is looking to, okay, what are the influences shaping where you are now? What are the things that either you are doing or is happening in your environment that's keeping you struggling? And what do we need to skill you up in in order for you to take control and empower yourself to move forward? Love it. And it's almost like someone's asked you this question before, because look how smoothly that just came out of your mouth. You just had it all teed up and ready to go. Almost like you've done your research. One way or another, I feel like you're prepared. So we're going to leave it there and we're going to bring you back on next time and actually focus on some of the research you've done over the last couple of years for your brilliant new book. So thank you so much for joining us on today's episode. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Brain Care Podcast. Don't forget to leave us a review and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes and follow us at Your Heights on Instagram and Twitter for daily doses of brain care. If you want to know more about how well you're feeding your brain, you can head to yourheights.com forward slash brain food to get your free score from one to 100 and start taking action from there. See you next week.